thanks for signing up for the Public Beta Podcast. It is Saturday, 7 a.m., June 5th, uh, 2021, the year of our Lord. Your host this week, myself, <laughs> Lee, and Reed. Reed, how are you? Uh, you know, I'm doing. How many video game-centric podcasts do you think record at on s- Saturday a.m. at 7? Uh, probably a few, at least. You think you think there's uh, some other boys there? No, no, the uh, the majesty, the the best time, the best time of day for gaming, Reed, or talking about games, in my opinion. Yeah, it's, it's, some of the best podcasts we've done have happened at this hour. <laughs> I would say the best podcasts we've done have been at this hour. Absolutely. Uh, so we, uh, yeah, we. Uh, I had a week off this week. You had a week off uh, previous to that. I think we're more or less back on schedule now. Andrade's in AEW. Everything's where it should be. Uh, and uh, we're ready to talk some video games. I got a ton of news lined up here as we are cruising headfirst into E3 or Summer Games Fest, whatever camp you belong to. Uh, so uh, everybody's jumping out in front of it. So everybody's announcing their press conference kind of thing, streaming thing. E3 runs over a weekend and into a beginning of a week, which would be perfect if it was still an in-person event. As our biggest gripe was, it's in the middle of the fucking week. We got to fly out to Los Angeles. Uh, on a t- like on a Monday or a Tuesday, and just burn the week, especially when all the things are being announced. Uh, so this way, it's going to be over the weekend, but uh, it's it's kind of a double-edged sword as most of the big p- conferences are actually taking place after the weekend. So what this I- what E three is as a virtual digital event, I have no idea. They're asking people to sign up. Uh, the other day, our, our boss asked me basically like, "Hey, did you sign up for E three? I'm like, "For what fucking purpose would I do that? Just to give them <laughs> my information to leak to the internet." Uh, media is being asked to sign up. I don't know what they're getting. I don't like. Are they just going to send you an email with links to all the trailers and stuff like that? It has never been more apparent uh, than now with E3 trying to make a a comeback here without having a physical event. Still, that that's really it. It's it's they are putting on a show that's big enough uh, that everybody in the industry is pulled to it like moths to a flame, and you can make those deals in person. And that is the point of E3. Them being like a uh, like a sheriff for all these digital events that are going to happen anyways seems a little pointless, uh, especially with everybody jumping out ahead of it. So tons of things are getting dated. Uh, we have all that in the news. But first, Reed, what have you been playing? Uh, basically just fucking Mass Effect still. That's good. That's, yeah. that's research. Yes. <laughs> you can write that off. Yeah, <laughs> I'm desperately trying to get the series done for basically this podcast, but I'm making really good time. I'm like, I don't know, good... 25 to 30 hours into Mass Effect 2 now. I need to finish everybody's companion quest, which is taking a long fucking time because there's so many goddamn goddamn companions. Uh, I did like like Zaid's yesterday. Thank God that one was like five minutes and he's like the shittiest character. I was like, yeah, whatever. That was that was a mission. See ya. <laughs> I mean, I like his I like his gruff character, but as a member of your squad, he's he's yeah, like a hired like, gun. Who's like, just, yeah. My first impression of him because you couldn't you can't have like a conversation with him at all. I'm just like, oh, he's just like here as a companion. He's not really like that's fine because like yeah. there's like twelve other fucking deep lore companions to talk to he's, anyway he's kind of like what if they decided not to write rex what if rex was just a surface level character <laughs> yeah it would be zaid yeah yeah but anyway that's for mass effect 2 time because we have to talk about mass effect 1 today oh we got so much to talk about How, all right, did you probe uranus yet <laughs> i did not probe uranus yet oh man there's a there's a i, I believe one of the uh there's like some kind of dialogue. I don't know if it's from Joker or who, but it's like basically you go to probe Uranus for materials, and there's like a "Are you serious?" or something like they threw that in. They had to. Uh, <laughs> uh, what's interesting is that yes, you need to probe those. Uh, I mean, we'll we'll cut off the Mass Effect talk here because we'll get to this later, of course. But uh, 
there is uh, a certain amount of materials you need to upgrade the ship. After that, you can probe every single planet and keep increasing those those materials, but you don't need them. And at the time when people were playing Mass Effect 2, they thought, hey, this could be one of the things that transfers into the next game. It behooves me. Uh, my, I'm talking about me myself. I probed every planet and got as much materials oh, as I could. God. And ultimately, there's there's no purpose. there. After you upgrade everything, <laughs> there's no reason to do all of that. Uh I don't know how much you you've been enlightened on the end of Mass Effect Two and how all that goes down. No, I don't. I don't know anything. So please don't spoil. Oh, anything. perfect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There, don't 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 look thing, up a walkthrough. Don't look up anything. Yeah, yeah. The only thing I've heard about it is a lot of people just go like, "Oh, it's like this big thing." Like they're like, "Imagine like like the worst thing that could have happened in Mass Effect One." Now times it by like six. So I'm like. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm like, okay, the only thing, the only theory I have in my head, just based on game mechanics, because of how easy it is to obtain loyalty in Mass Effect 2, is I'm speculating there's going to be a mission where if someone is not loyal to you, they will die. So that's why I'm going out of my way to do everybody's companion mission, so I can ensure everybody is loyal to me. I had a bit Let's say, yeah, so let's, let's just say that's the start, but also your your choices at the end of the game also weigh in. So you, you can be pre- as prepared as you want. You can, pre- you can uh, you know, like I said, upgrade your ship all the way. You absolutely want to do that. Loyalty missions, you absolutely want to do those. But even with that considered, they, they still throw a wrench in your plans at the end of that game, and I can't wait for you, uh, especially if you're streaming it for the first time and not, like, don't don't take uh, suggestions from the chat or anything. I just, and just go I, with your gut and see what happens. I need people in the chat for that, Lee. <laughs> what? <Well, yeah. laughs> Oh, yeah. Hey chat, what should I do? Chat? Yeah. Chat? No, chat? Uh, no I've, I've, I've had I've had at least three people in my chat in the past week, which is nice. Um, by the wow. way, by the way, I've updated my uh, Twitch username so it does not include part of my given name in it. Um, hey, there you go. Uh, you should uh, you should assign them all a party member. Uh, hey chat chat number three, you will be Tally. Uh, you get to make the calls for Tally here. I fucking uh, love Tally, man. Uh, dude, dude. Uh, who did you... Uh, okay, stop. We're going to get to Mass Effect at the end. Okay, literally, the next words out of my mind was, who did you bone? Oh. Uh, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to wait till. Unfortunately, as Femship, I don't think you can... Uh, I don't think you can go all the way with Tally. No, you, you can't. But no, I... Like, I'll say Mass Effect 2. Like, I didn't romance anybody in Mass Effect 1. Spoilers. You um, didn't romance anybody? Not in Mass Effect the, 1, Lee. The chaste Commander Shepard? <laughs> because, Lee, I wanted to romance Garrus in Mass Effect 2, which I did, and it's fucking awesome. All right. Yeah. He's got, like, he's like a bird, man. He's got, like, a... That, it's, like, a it's like, they bring that shit up. It's hilarious. Like, I, I should probably say this for the Mass Effect 2 talk, but fuck it. Like, he's just like... He's just like, how would this work? And you're just like, uh, I don't know, figure it out. And he's just like, all right, I'll do some research, and then basically we'll fuck. <laughs> he, like, he like looks it up in a book, yeah, like some kind of like sexy human uh, Turian Kama Sutra. <laughs> yeah, like I guess like you know you don't guess necessarily have to have intercourse. I guess just as long as you're both stimulating one another. Um, <laughs> there, you, there you go. Uh, <laughs> And then I, Saturday AM talks I'm looking for. Yeah, and then I know there's screenshots I've seen kind of spoilery of, I guess, like, when you do get to have your date with Garrus, and it looks like a really fun mission. Like, really sweet and innocent, and Garrus is, like, super, uh... Like, he's usually, like, a really gruff badass and everything. Yeah. Um, but when you're flirting with him, he gets, like, super nervous and shit. It's hilarious. It's really, it's really sweet. Under that hard exoskeleton is, uh... 
is a soft yeah. softy. Under that, uh, yeah. I just imagine you guys are just like going after like, oh, there's some petty criminals on the sea deck or whatever. So you go down there and you're just like blowing off their heads, and then like you're overtaken with emotion and just start making out while your both your faces are splattered <laughs> with blood. That's how Garrus likes it. Uh, checking some calibrations. All right, I have been playing fucking everything under the sun. Read. I rolled credits. Uh, on Octopath Traveler, that is to say that I beat the fourth act uh, as my main character. I played Osiris the Scholar. Oh my uh, so god! I beat, oh my god! So I beat his last part of the mission, and then it starts rolling credits. And I'm like, "Fuck you, game!" I know I'm at least twelve hours away from actually <laughs> where I wanted to be in this game, but it rolls credits and it gives you kind of like some closure. And then uh, if you remember Octopath Traveler, uh, the party member you choose as your main character is locked to your party. Until the end of the game. Once you beat their story, though, you can swap them out. Uh, so if it behooves you to... I, I don't know why I would do this. The Scholar is the most powerful... Not only my most powerful character, but like in terms of damage output, is the is my like ace in the hole in that fucking game. Uh, so I beat that boss, and I have a number of other Act 4s basically to complete. I don't know if there is a... Uh, so I've stumbled across a number of high-level areas that are above my level. And all I can think of is like... Man, as soon as I beat everybody's main quest, if that isn't the end, if it if it doesn't prompt me to go to like some ultimate final boss fight, which I believe it does, I don't know this for sure. If it doesn't prompt me to do that, and it's just like a wet fart of an end, it's just like okay, well you can keep playing and like grind and go to these high level areas and get more gear, but if there's no reason to do that, man, that game, like I said, is the JRPG equivalent of Days Gone, where it's just like it goes on forever. Some of the story bits are, are like, oh, you're like, oh, this is getting semi-interesting, and then it ends because like those those story bits are individually told, and when they're done, they're done. Uh, yeah. So the scholar, the scholars is really neat because he ends up in these old ruins with all these tomes, and he basically learns about like an apocalyptic event. He learns about like a place in the world where like ancient evil is locked away, and you're like, oh, is this leading to like a final confrontation? As far as I know, it still does. I'm gonna go fight some kind of behemoth at the end of the world, and that's how Octopath Traveler ends. Um, but then I consider that my main character could have been a dancer or a merchant, and how their quests wrap up, it makes no sense that at that point the merchant would be, well, bye, I'm going to go run a store, versus, okay, I'm going to keep traveling with these strangers and go kill a god beast at the end of the world. Yeah. It never it never ties that. I'm fucking 55 hours into this game, and I'm telling you it makes no effort uh, to really ever tie that up, it's uh, it's not a real story. It's 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 no, it's yeah, not, it's not fun. Just like uh -huh. Days Gone, where it's just like the freaks and the mystery behind them and what Nero was doing with them is the story. But I guess they're holding that back. Like they took the most interesting part of their world and they're like, we're gonna hold it. We're just gonna wait on that. Man, we're gonna tease like the, it for the next six months. I think you're gonna compare every single video game every to Days game Gone. To days Days fucking gone. Yeah, we're gonna uh, we're gonna be like playing like fucking like fucking uh, psycho Nazi. And be like, you know what? This really reminds me of Deacon Saint John. Man, this reminds me of the plight of Deacon Saint John trying to find his 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 wife uh, in the in the wasteland. Uh, <laughs> so I also played some uh, some Yakuza three. Got back into that. Uh, got to the part where I head back to Komorocho, which I believe is Act four. That game, those characters are so endeared to me now. Uh, that I'll like, I can see myself playing through all these games, no problem. I was worried that the uh, the gameplay, because it's obviously like a PS3 game that's just upresed, so the the fighting and stuff like that is way more rough around the edges. Uh, but I took my break from it and came back, and it's fine now. Like I'm I'm having fun with the the combat as uh, 
as caveman as it is compared to like uh, Kiwami 2 or anything like that. But the story, the plot, is intriguing. And uh, the only reason it is is because I've played all those other Yakuza games now. And I'm like, oh, like I'll follow these characters to the end of the earth. I want to see what happens. <laughs> and all that Yakuza goodness, all those side quests and weird shit uh, is still in there. I got excited because you find uh, you find a hostess bar. And they're like, we need help. And I'm like, well, in, in my previous uh, adventures in Yakuza games, whenever the hostess bar... Uh, shows up well that there goes 10 hours of my time just raising that hostess bar except in this case you you find girls on the street and you recruit them Kiryu's just like hey you're looking okay you want to come work in a hostess bar and she's like sure uh cabaret club whatever they want to call it you walk around the floor and you see like speech bubbles pop up and a guy will be like man i wish they had some gorgeous girls i wish there were more gorgeous girls then you go into a stat screen where you can dress up the girl which is like the other cabaret uh things and then you do your best to dress her in a in a gorgeous fashion. It doesn't tell you what you're putting on her, what stats it will change. So you fucking spend a bunch of yen to like pretty her up, and then you realize that you fucked up. Like the, the gorgeous stat didn't go up, and you've completely wasted your time and money. And that made me upset. I don't know why I focus so much on that because otherwise the game is a lot of fun. Um, and then finally, read with the news that they have dated Far Cry Six. Me and Nick from work. Uh, I believe, without telling each other this, we both reinstalled Far Cry 5. <laughs> Yo, good for you. <laughs> uh, listen, let me tell you something about Far Cry 5. It's pretty good. Uh, it's definitely a game where uh, you kind of you can make your own fun. I forgot about the verticality of the game and the wingsuit and all the, the ways to traverse the environment. Uh, it's very snappy. It rewards a fast, uh, like, duck-and-cover kind of playstyle, not unlike MGS5 or Days Gone. Uh, but I got like a silenced shotgun now, so I can basically just sprint through camps, just blowing people away. Right. And, like no, I think that's where yeah. some of my problems with Far Cry Five came from because I wanted to play it like a game like Phantom Pain, where you can be clever with the resources and and equipment that you have. Yes, but it's but the AI like fucking like it was like the AI was was way too smart in this game, and yeah, it just lent itself way more to an aggressive play style. And there's way too many combat encounters in that game, and they happen way too uh, way too frequently. That I was just getting sick of the run and gun gameplay, where I wanted to mix it up a bit, and just didn't lend lend itself to that very much. I don't it's, think. I mean, it's an Ubisoft game, right? So you got to almost put blinders on to a certain point, because in Far Cry, there are a number of objectives that just happen around you. Uh, including, like, hey, fr free this many people from vans, or, like, blow up this many trucks. And if you just stand on the corner of a street, that shit's just coming by you. Like, the game will actually just throw that at you, so there's never a dull moment. And some of that can get a little overwhelming. Uh, but you can set... Like, I I'm almost done that game. When I reinstalled it just now, there are three major regions with three bosses. I was, like, at the tail end of the second one, so as soon as I logged in and, like, shot one guy in the leg, it's like, oh... Uh, okay, so another thing about Far Cry, and Nick uh, has feelings on this as well, is uh, usually in, a, in an open world game, you do all your side quests or whatever, and eventually a main quest opens, and you decide when you want to advance the story. In Far Cry 5, and I don't know if 4 had this as well, but uh, at a certain point when you reach a certain threshold of EXP in a region, it just straight up says that the person is hunting you, like they're sending planes. They're, they're going to get you. Oh. you gotta. You, there's nothing you can do about it. And that basically forces you into a main story quest. So if you're just, like, having a good time doing some puzzles, doing some uh, prepper stashes and just, like, trying to uh, unlock stuff, suddenly you'll be thrust into, like, a major mission that could be 20 to 30 minutes long. Um, 
And it's an interesting choice, because obviously in open world games, people bounce off of them because they don't advance the story. This forces you to have a face-to-face with these these uh, boss characters. The only thing is, uh, it's written poorly in that now we're talking about the main character here uh, who has been abducted, let's say, a, a half dozen to a dozen times by the bad guys. And instead of just killing them straight out, they leave you alive or they play with their food, basically. And uh, inevitably, in every case, you break out. So... At first, you're like, okay, cool, it happens one or two times. Once it's happened like six or eight times, it becomes a little, like, the, the narrative or the, the thought behind it becomes a little crazy. Yeah, it's, like, it's the Resident Evil 7 syndrome. It's like, if you guys just Imagine a, fucking... a Arnold Schwarzenegger movie where he gets, ca- like, in, in, you know, you think of Total Recall. Maybe there's two or three times in that where he's in, like, a hostage kind of, like, yeah. Mexican standoff situation. Imagine if that happened eight times in that movie and you're like, at a certain point here, why didn't someone just fucking put a gun to his head and pull the trigger? Yeah, imagine, the, ridiculous. Yeah, imagine the Revenant, except he survives four bear attacks. <laughs> <laughs> like, at a certain point, you just gotta believe this guy's really good at killing bears. <laughs> they leave him They leave him for dead after the third attack, and then he gets attacked one more time and still survives. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's kind of silly. There's at least a cool part with uh, Jacob, who's like the militaristic guy. Uh, he's like trying to the numbers mason you. He's got like a, a music box that he plays, and he's obviously trying to brainwash you or, or make you into some kind of sleeper agent or something, except it's Far Cry, so it's only going to go so far. It's an interesting idea, but they kind of drop it uh, so that you can go back to open-worlding and shooting grizzly bears and shit like that. <laughs> yeah. uh, the game's got a lot of arm- armaments. It's got a lot of weapons. It's got a lot of bombs and stuff like that. You can uh, There's a huge perk tree that you can unlock. Uh, I I have really no problems with Far Cry other than that weird way it does the narrative and the overwhelming amount of stuff it throws at you. Um, I don't even know... I'm not even trying to say I'm excited for Far Cry 6, uh, but they're they're good. I like them. The Far Cry games are are fine. Um, I'm trying to think. Like, I've been playing Watch Dogs Legion, right? Okay. That game, by comparison, is boring. Uh, the entire the entire gimmick in that game is you can make party members, you can make your squad out of anybody you see on the street. And while that's fine, one of the strong points of Watch Dogs was the strong characterizations. You might hate the shit out of the characters, I understand, but they had very strong personalities and were written very boldly. Now with Watch Dogs Legion, basically they've taken that, that thing from Watch Dogs and thrown it away because you just have a bunch of randos you found on the street. And if you're like me, you're recruiting the funniest people you can. Like, just a bunch of homeless people with guns. <laughs> uh, just like, <laughs> we're, we're, we're starting an underground movement of homeless guys with silenced machine guns, and we're going to take back this city from the PMCs, man. It's fucking crazy. Uh, that's Far Cry. That's more or less what I've been playing, other than I reinstalled Diablo 3 last night. Yeah. Oh. How much Diablo 3 have you played? It can't be zero. Uh, yeah, it's not zero. I've probably played, like, maybe upwards of ten hours. It's, uh, it's... I, I did, like if I'm gonna be played on PC and I want to play a top-down game like that, and Divinity Original Sin Two is right there, I'm probably just gonna... well, that's more of an RPG like Diablo, right? But that's that's yeah. I guess that's the point I'm trying to make is that Diablo is a bit too spazzy for me, and I appreciate something <laughs> slower, and more strategic. <laughs> Let's call it what it is. Diablo Three is very casual. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I said it. Yeah, it's just press the <laughs> buttons and get loot, basically. So Right. Uh, so at the higher difficulties, obviously, there's a little more attention to detail and what abilities you have equipped and making sure you are the most efficient whirling dervish of death you can be. But 
when you're playing standard, so there's a seasonal mode now, which just gives you more rewards and uh, it behooves characters, uh, players to make new characters. If you're a new player coming back to the game, though, there's no reason not to choose this because it's just going to give you extra stuff. And we chose normal difficulty. I'm playing a co-op like on the couch with my wife, and uh, we are just steamrolling like in a way that I don't even remember the last time I played Diablo. Like, was this easy, but uh, we're rolling a Barbarian, I am, and then she's playing the Necromancer. The Necromancer Man, uh, which was a late DLC character for that, just seems fucking hilarious. Like, seven skeletons on screen, on top of, like, other things you can... Like, she's got nine mobs following her, uh, doing her bidding at any given time, and we're just kind of laughing because it's it just steamrolling through that game. And, yeah, so even compared to something like Champions of Norath, or, or ever like, that game... There, there seems a lot less, uh, you have to be a lot less deliberate in Diablo. It's more or less just keeping an eye on your cooldowns and your health bar and what's actually happening on screen, your positioning and all that kind of stuff seems kind of moot. Like Redundant. Yeah, it's autopilot. And that's fine. Like, there's 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 places for that. Uh, and you just want to see the numbers get bigger, right? That's Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's great if you're just, if you, especially if you just want to watch something in the background, it's great for that too. Yeah. You know, do your taxes. Yeah. <laughs> Playing Diablo in the background. Oh, man. Uh, but I can't believe I started talking about that. Now I really want to play some fucking Divinity or Baldur's Gate. Yeah. Like, like Diablo doesn't have any of that. Uh, that's that's something that maybe in Diablo 4 they could they could think of adding. But really it's just like, oh, there's an asterisk above somebody's head. Talk to them and learn some uh, some lore. Uh, unlock the blacksmith. Okay, now you can, you can do... There's no... I don't know. Uh, is basically just like the story is there to keep you moving forward and give you context to the things you are just slaughtering. Um, for the most part, Diablo is is very light in terms of it is what it is. It does one thing and it does it pretty goddamn well. And the balancing of the the gear and the loot uh, that all keeps you going. So I'm not I'm not by any stretch of the imagination saying Diablo three is a bad game. I'm just saying I like a little more meat on the bone Absolutely. for that kind of RPG. Yeah. Um, yeah, especially like you unlock, you get to a certain level and you unlock an ability and you equip it to see what it is. And you're like, oh, well, this is just all around worse than what I had equipped in this slot. And you go back to the previous thing, and the, the game's a lot of that. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, know. I like things that I like, especially in games like that. I need abilities that might seem useless at first, but you realize later that they have a lot of synchronization and usefulness with other abilities. Yeah, like, uh, causing bleed for five seconds right now is meaningless to me, but later there's another perk or there's another ability that stacks with bleed, and now suddenly it's it's a whole new world. Yeah, or, like, in Divinity Original Sin 2, there's just one that's just, like, call down rain, and you're like, what the fuck, who gives a shit about rain? But you're like, oh, that creates puddles, I can use electricity on the puddles, I can actually yeah, freeze Yeah, thunder all hits with 100% accuracy. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can freeze all the puddles, blah, 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 blah. But yeah, um... Yeah, I've never been a big Diablo guy. I heard Diablo 2 is, like, the king anyway, but, I don't know, never been my thing particularly. If I'm going to be playing a Blizzard game, it's probably going to be Warcraft 3. <laughs> yeah, I like uh, I like more deliberate... So, it's, like, I like Fantasy Star, and, like I said, uh, Champions for, for older games around the same time as Diablo 2 was kind of the king. And even though those are the same, they're, they're button-mashy kind of looters... Uh, there's something more deliberate about that combat and choosing when to strike and retreat that Diablo 3 just doesn't fucking have. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll leave it at that. Reed, we got some news to get through before we get to Mass Effect here. Uh, this got sent to me early this morning by Mark, a listener of the show. Hello, Mark. Uh, hello, Mark. Oh, hi, Mark. Uh, <laughs> oh, hi, Mark. Uh, Quantic Dream. Reed, off the top of your head, do you know who Quantic Dream yeah, is? Yeah, they're the Beyond Two Souls, Heavy Rain. Look at you. Detroit yeah. Become Human. Yeah, my girlfriend is a really big fan of their games. 
Okay, so you got to tell her about this story afterwards. Then. Okay. Quantic Dream executives cry, ask if they can lie during recent court appearance. So they're French. Uh, okay. as, a, as a studio. That, that's not to say that's why they cried. I'm just <laughs> stating the fact that uh, they're we French. Uh, we are very emotional people. I don't know why he sounds like uh, Italian. Uh, Quantic Dream executives recently appeared in a Paris court as part of its ongoing defamation lawsuit against French publications Le Monde and Mediapart. Uh, but according to May 31st report, things didn't go smoothly for the studio behind the games like Heavy Rain and Detroit Become Human. Independent French uh, union Solidaire Informatique uh, reports that CEO's David Cage, who's also the writer of many of their games, he's usually the guy who's on stage introducing... Omnicron. He just, he just got in front of the court and just said Omnicron and <laughs> dropped the mic. And then uh, man, and the Omnicron theme comes on. The... <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, Whoa, whoa. Guillaume de Fondemire. Okay. Uh, Both exhibited strange behavior during their testimonies. Cage allegedly cried on the stand, stomping his feet, Zutalor, screaming about interferences to his business and damage to his honor, and eventually storming out of the courtroom altogether. I imagine everybody else there is just like bored. No, but why is he in court? Because he's talking shit. Uh, Defamation lawsuit uh, against French publications. So uh, a number of French publications ran stories about mistreatment of employees oh. at Quantic Dream, is what I'm to understand. Harassment. Oh. Uh, I don't think it's like, like uh, I, I come by your desk and fart on you while you're working kind of harassment, but maybe just like general... What have I? I don't know if this this article is going to go into it. You can look up yourself. But yeah, what, I'm pretty. What is the story our, here? Yeah, our European <laughs> countries like a lot more. They don't really release a lot of information in regards to cases like that. They're just like, no, this is. Yeah, a they bad. don't want you to know about how they're harassing their employees. <laughs> no, but yeah, seriously, around. like I think like Scotland, for example, is famous for like never releasing any details about like any sort of murder or anything like that. Whoa. Yeah, you stepped it up from harassment to murder. Pretty, <laughs> I'm just saying. Funny. I'm just saying that I don't think they. David they Cage takes the stand. And he's just like, I didn't kill him. I'm just saying that I think European countries are a lot less has are a lot more hesitant to release the details than uh, Canada or USA, for example. Yeah, you, you uh, European co- companies and also the WWE. Uh, <laughs> near the end of his own testimony, defend me. Uh, reportedly looked at the judges and asked, "I'm not under oath, so can I lie?" Before claiming Quantic Dream was seriously damaged by the stories about its toxic work environment, Solidaire Informatique says that De Fondemier uh, didn't provide proof of these damages. Quantic Dream did not respond to Kotaku's request for comment. These legal escapades stretch back to January of 2018 when several reports were published in the French press concerning working conditions at Quantic Dream. The stories allege that Quantic Dream's work culture was rife with toxic behavior and most prevalent being a massive internal trove of photoshopped images depicting employees in sexual situations and altered to look like Nazis. What the fuck? I need to read that again, because I uh, my brain wasn't processing it as fast as I was reading it. The stories <laughs> alleged that Quantic Dream's work culture was rife with toxic behavior. Wherever your mind goes when I say toxic behavior, it <laughs> the most prevalent, the most prevalent, the thing that's happening, this is the worst part, uh, being a massive internal trove, uh, a server somewhere, a folder of photoshopped images depicting employees in sexual situations and altered to look like Nazis. These images reportedly dated all the way back to 2013 and were sometimes even displayed in open areas of the Quantic Dream offices. What the fuck? Uh, Like, 
Like, like if you're like a junior software developer or like you know you're you're fucking like a level designer and you're like yeah. hey look at this I made this image of you taking it up the ass. Yeah, but you're also a Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> Studio executives <laughs> refuted sure. these details uh, with Defundimir telling Kotaku that. Uh, the time that he was furious and outraged by the accusations, Kutaku learned in April 2018 uh, that Quantic Dream was suing newspaper Le Monde uh, and uh, uh. website Mediaport, excuse me, two of the French publications responsible for the reporting. In December 2019, a French court ordered Quantic Dream to pay the former IT manager a total of 7,000 euros uh, over the incident. What? what? Uh, but that decision was overturned earlier this year with no link was found between the dis- uh, dissemination of the uh, photos and the plaintiff's decision to leave the company. The fact that the photos exist alone. So this is to say that they were going to pay this guy out because he had something to do with these photos, but then they they found that he left the company not based on those photos. I, I, don't, I don't know. So they couldn't pay that. him his seven thousand dollars. What the <laughs> fuck? In addition to the actions of the uh, its executives during last week's court appearance, Quantum Dream reportedly provided the court with documents that were supposed. Uh, to defend them against accusations of social security fraud by showing the company acting in good faith in the termination of a former employee. However, upon closer inspection, these documents apparently revealed irregularities in the process that the defense believed highlighted a possible incident of unlawful dismissal. If true, uh, this would be an own goal of monumental proportions. Uh, So that would be to say that they finally revealed some papers and then the papers themselves had irregularities where it's just like, oh shit, we got to sue you for this now. Uh, so Quantic Dreams in a bit of hot water here, and these guys acting like weirdos on the stand is not uh, is not helping the case at all. Um, just, hey boss, look at this Photoshop I made of the secretary fucking a bunch of Nazis. Oh, that's good. Put it on the f- fucking fridge in the lunchroom. Yeah, that's uh, that's fucked up, dude. <laughs> yeah, it goes without saying. I think I don't think there. <laughs> I don't think we need to render an opinion on that. I think we just need to say it out loud and be like, huh. Uh, Dying Light 2, sequel to Dying Light 1, which people have mixed feelings on. Uh, Techland will be, uh, releasing this game on December 7th. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Good for That's them. when I want my zombie game. Yeah. Good for uh, Dying Light. <laughs> cool thing about Dying Light, obviously, uh, really cool nighttime mechanic where they actually made the game dark and dangerous. Uh, parkour, of course. Uh, first person combat, which I hope they have upgraded in some way because it will probably seem dated if they kept it the same. And uh, really cool writing and solid writing for the small characters in that game. The human stories in Dying Light are are very good. And something that could have very much benefited in... Uh, what was that game? Days Gone? Anyway. Uh, the first look at the Borderlands movie, we got silhouettes of the characters all dressed up. And uh, they look like the characters. And Roland, uh, who is Kevin Hart, looks like a short Roland. He's just like a little... Little Roland. Uh... <laughs> I fucking, I'm gonna hate this fucking movie. Uh, and then Claptrap is, of course, Jack Black. Man, the silhouettes look good, though. Like, they look like people in, like, high-level cosplay with a shadow thrown over them. Uh, that's that's maybe our next April 1st review, is, is the fucking Borderlands movie. But, like, is that? I shouldn't say I'm gonna hate, I shouldn't say I'm gonna hate this movie. Let me take that back. Like, I, it's not like I give a fuck about the Borderlands mythos, actually. Because, like, I keep on thinking about it. I'm like, I've played three Borderlands games. I've played Borderlands 2, pre-sequel, and, and 3. I don't need to play Borderlands 1. That game looks like asshole compared to, every, compared to everything else. So, I loved this. I shouldn't loved. I very much enjoyed the story of Borderlands 2. I thought it was very underrated. I thought the second half of the story 
because it got mostly serious as opposed to jokey was very good. I thought the story in pre-sequel and 3 were very bad. So in that regard, actually, I don't really give a fuck. They can actually do what they want with the Borderlands movie because uh, it's already pretty tainted anyway. Who gives a shit? Yeah, I'm pretty sure they've, they've, they've said this is non-canon. This is just for funds. And then Eli Roth is fucking directing this thing. So Which is really weird because he did, like, Green Inferno and, like, Hostile. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, anyway. whatever. Like, whatever. Fuck. Who gives a shit? Someone's going to crush Roland's balls with a 2 by 4 or like, something in this fucking movie. Is <laughs> Chris Tucker like, now? I, I wonder like, <laughs> if Kevin Hart is going to play Roland, who is like literally like the only stoic, non-funny character. So... Or, so that's the joke, right? Is like from the from the moment they cast him, I'm like, okay, he has to go against type. He has to play this super seriously, but he's like this diminutive, like soldier, right? Right, but it's Kevin Hart, and Kevin Hart only knows right. how to play Kevin Hart. <laughs> like, do we need Kevin Hart and Jack Black as claptrap? That's what I'm thinking. The joke would be for Kevin Hart to just play this like straight up, like to play it ser- seriously. But I guess we'll see. Yeah, like or, or Samuel L. Jackson just be swearing constantly. <laughs> I don't know. It's an Eli Roth movie ultimately, so yeah, like yeah, I don't know. It's fucking weird. Who gives a shit? I don't know either. Uh, Shimigami Tensei Five uh, allegedly has a release date leak. Uh, that game will be coming out in November, supposedly, and uh, we'll everybody get ready to get your dick kicked in by demons once more. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested to which consoles they plan to release this on. Uh, as far as we know, Switch. Uh, but that could also it could also be PC, it could be PS5, it could be yeah. You never know. We don't know that yet. Yeah, uh, the God of War sequel has officially been delayed. That is to say that I don't know who was expecting it to be out this year. I but I don't know anybody who was when they said 2022. I was like, it wasn't supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, the bigger story here is that all of these PS5 uh, exclusive games are not be are are now coming out on PS4. So, the God of War sequel. Uh, Ragnarok will also be on PS4, and Gran Turismo 7 is allegedly also coming to PS4. So, uh, you own a PS5. I don't yet. And the reason I don't is for this exact reason. It needs to accumulate some more exclusive games uh, before I, I, I bite the bullet on that. Demon Souls is not it for me. Returnal is not it for me. A fucking Ratchet and Clank game isn't making <laughs> okay, me that's, spend that's $600. The thing. I fucking love Demon Souls, and I'm going to be playing... I already played it three times, and I love Ratchet and Clank. It's like yeah, my... so... That, no, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, if, if people can justify it, and that means... But there's a lot of people out there, Reed, and you know them, uh, that bought this console close to release date, and why? <laughs> yeah, like... I, but, yeah, I, 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 I definitely get that reasoning. I'm, like, I'm... I live comfortably enough where I don't have many other hobbies besides golf and video games where, like, I can save up my... Like, after I bought my PS5 and my computer, I'm like, okay, I don't need to buy anything for myself for, like, another two years now. Great. Like, that's it. Yeah, fair. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I, I understand that. Um, yeah. You know, teach their own. Yeah. Uh, I, I, who am I to tell somebody how not to spend their stim check? Uh, you know, like <laughs> that was the joke in the states, right? Is like they were rolling out those checks as these consoles were coming out, and it was just like, all right, government funded PS5 purchasing, I guess. Uh, one more time, let's talk about Days Gone. Uh, let's talk about oh their their God. studio, Ben Studios, uh, <laughs> who has announced that they are making a game with a new IP. Uh, it is it is not a Days Gone sequel. But uh, they will be taking a lot of the things they learned and implemented uh, there to to move on. Do you think? Do you think people would be hype for a siphon filter game if they rebooted no. siphon filter? No, I like just straight up no. <laughs> no, like I've never heard, seen anything online, in person, anywhere 
where anybody was like, fuck yeah, dude, siphon filter. They're like, well, let me be the first. (laughs) There's never, yeah, there's never been genuine excitement behind that game at like, there's Metal Gear Solid, there's Ghost Recon, there's fucking Splinter Cell, there's all these great fucking games. (laughs) You got Siphon Filter, like, fuck that shit. Well, let me preface it by saying that Siphon Filter kind of maxed out at three, so we haven't seen a legit, like, big big time siphon filter game since the ps1 like it's been over 20 years since that name held any clout but uh the multiplayer in that game was pretty fun and uh yeah it was fine it, it's it's like of its era like you couldn't play it now you would, you would be fucking infuriated trying to play that game <laughs> but uh I, I think there's i think there's a place for for logan to return with his weird jump where he reaches the apex of his jump and starts to fall down but then he gets a uh, magneted to the, it's like every platform was two feet too high in that game, so they had to just make the character float up to it. Um, uh, people, like anyway. what I really want. Don't give me Cyan Filter. You're making Days Gone. You already have an open world concept. Just take what Phantom Pain did and put it in a populated city. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's Metal Gear Solid Four. Just put in Venom Snake in Metal Gear Solid Four and expand those maps. <laughs> no, just give me an open uh, world city. But give me all the tools and creativity of Phantom Pain, and let me go fucking play around. Like, you're not good at writing stories. You established that with Days Gone. Like, let's... <laughs> <laughs> they wrote a lot in Days Gone. Yeah, it's just like, none of it was particularly interesting. Yeah, like, if there was a word for just most dialogue, then, like, you would win, sure. But none of it's yeah. particularly good. Just but get, I, get like, Sam Witwer as your military guy, and he's like, oh, yeah, I gotta <laughs> blow up these civilians. And he's just, like, dropping trucks and, like... Gotta commit some more crimes. <laughs> yeah, parachuting dudes and shooting them out of the air into Molotovs and weird shit. Like, it'd be fun. It'd be so fun. Sure. Like, that's the thing, is, like, they, they're a very talented studio. Days Gone plays great. Like, the gameplay in Days Gone is great, so it's curious to see what they would expand that to. Because, uh, obviously, that whole horde system and zombie thing, like, that is interesting enough that you would warrant a sequel. And any given ever, at any other time, on paper, you're like, well, obviously, they have to expand on this horde thing and put it in cities and stuff, right? Yeah. That the, the sequel to Days Gone, like I said, takes you to California and takes you to a major city, but then there's also Horizon Zero Dawn that's doing just that as well, and there was uh, Last of Us Part 2. The post-apocalyptic shit, maybe that's actually... You know what would be neat for, like, a Days Gone sequel, Lee? That, like, yeah. <laughs> if they were just like, oh, guess what, we cured the zombie thing. In between games? Yeah, and then, like, this next <laughs> game is, like, you try to rebuild society, and it becomes, like, this kind of weird Sim City slash Days Gone hybrid. Deacon announces himself the new president of the United States. <laughs> yeah, you have to go... That's some Hideo Kojima shit now. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Your husband, Deacon St. John. That's right. Your mother, the president of the United <laughs> States. Fuck. Uh, Death Stranding is a game I, I also have still have installed, and I will be going back to as soon as I beat Far Cry 3. Or 5, rather, by the way. Yeah. I'm going to beat Death Stranding. I, this, this is the summer of me beating all the games that nobody beat because they're just simply too fucking long. <laughs> they're simply too unremarkable. <laughs> it's too unremarkable and too long. Uh, Super Mario Brothers, the movie from the 80s, or, or I guess it was 1993. Uh, the 80s to me, because it's all the same to me when I'm four. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen this movie, Reed. But uh, so we have they have found, they have unearthed 20 unseen minutes of oh, the Super Mario oh Brothers movie. God. And uh, there's apparently, like, an execution in it. You get to see <laughs> King Koopa kill some guy. There's a rap. Oh, God. Uh, begs the question, 
why would you cut a rap out of this movie? Uh, uh, it's 1993. De- depends, <laughs> how, depends how good John Link Wazamo is at rapping. I, I, I don't believe it's him rapping. I believe it's the henchman characters rapping. Oh, which is even better. Yeah, they're looking at this. They're like, how do we save 20 minutes out of this movie? And they're like, lose the henchman rap. That must have been a hard day because <laughs> you know it's gold. <laughs> uh, Crisis remastered. The trilogy is coming this fall for PC and consoles. Uh, so there you go. There's your post-apocalyptic uh, city to roam around in. I don't know if you've played any of the Crisis games, Reed. No. But they're pretty all right. No, I've seen yeah. gameplay. I've heard good things, but... It's kind of like, what if you had the Halo suit and you had to kill, like, regular guys and aliens with it? Okay. It's just, it, actually, just in, in retrospect, it's just Halo. Crisis is more or less Halo. But can't you, like, <laughs> slide around and shit? You can fucking, yeah, fucking yeah, you can slide around. So it's Power not slides Halo. on your knees are one of my favorite things in video games. So it's games. not Halo. <laughs> if I am sprinting and I hold down the crouch button and I don't slide, I'm a, I am a, I am upset. I am inconsolable. Reed, yeah. it's time. It's time for Mass Effect. Oh yeah, body break. So last time. Uh, we talked about the world building of Mass Effect. We talked about the very uh, basic plot setup of what's happening, who everybody is. We talked really briefly on the party members. We talked about the choice system and just generally how this game works. We didn't get into character building. We didn't get into uh, the different classes you can choose in this game, the weapons, the inventory, uh, and then the general gameplay. I think we can drive home before we just kind of go through the plot of the first Mass Effect game and talk about the decisions we made and why. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, what what kind of character did you build in this game? So I went with a Vanguard. Um, sure, that's a good one. Yeah, I man, so like I've been playing so much Mass Effect 2, it kind of gets melded. Before I remember, it was basically just your standard um, uh, standard defensive biotic warrior, so you get access to, like, you know, push and all that shit, which is all fine. Um, I really like how in Mass Effect 1, you how you have just an exorbitant amount of skill tr- like skills and points to put into them. I'm the kind of guy that loves going into a menu every so often to do that. So I was really sure. surprised by that. And then, of course, I went with Femme Shepard uh, because I always play females in games like this whenever that gives me the option to. Um, and voiced by the wonderful Jennifer Hale, which has been in a billion things. Metal Gear Solid is Naomi Hunter. Uh, fucking... And, and numerous others. And, <laughs> it's, it's escaping me, but like, if you look up Jennifer Hale, you'll, like, you'll see that she's in a billion things that you've seen or watched. Um, so that's, that's Not great. just video games, either. Does a lot of uh, yeah. Baldur's Gate, Mass Effect, Metal Gear Solid, yeah, anime, uh, Knights of the Old Republic. Dubs, yeah. um, tons of Bioshock shit. Infinite. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's what I went with. Cool. Uh, then you have your uh, your your backstory. You get to choose between three spacer, colonist, and earthborn. Uh, I regret to inform you that these don't really have a. He- There's a few little bits of uh, flavor text throughout. Uh, this also gives you a head start on paragon or renegade points, depending on which one you choose. Uh, Spacer, both of your parents were in the Alliance military. Your childhood was spent on ships and stations as they transferred from posting to posting. Never staying in one uh, location for more than a few years following your parents' footsteps, you enlisted at the age of 18. So basically, uh, maybe a little more worldly, a little more aware of space and planets and alien races around you. This gives you an automatic plus 10 Paragon points. Uh, Colonist, you were born and raised in uh, Mindyore, a small border colony in the Attican Traverse. Uh, When you were 16, slavers raided... 
your uh, your home planet here, slaughtering your family and friends. You were saved by a passing alliance patrol enlisted in the military uh, to take take your racist revenge. Uh, there's a lot of that in Mass Effect, where it's just like aliens showed up and fucked fucked my family, so now I'm a soldier. It's like uh, maybe you should put a put a space between those two things. That that like that's then you end up with Ashley Williams, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, Earthborn, you were an orphan raised in the streets of the great metropolises covering Earth. You escaped the life of petty crime and underworld gangs by enlisting with the Alliance military when you turned 18. That gives you plus 10 renegade points because you're like a street urchin. And then I forgot to mention, Colonist gives you uh, five of each. Um, yeah. yeah so which one did you uh, Which one did you choose, Reed? Uh So, I chose the, um, the survivor. So, like, you survive the attack where it kills everybody. And then once it gives you... The... That's the next part. That's the psychological profile. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I, that's yeah. what I chose for psychological profile. And then I did, like, the colonist where, like, you're on a colony and slavers came and killed everybody. And you were rescued by the Alliance. So, I went with an edgy character. The basis of my Shepard roleplay that I was going to be doing for this playthrough was... Yeah. Um, kind-hearted to allies but ruthless to enemies in a sense um mm. so we'll do the right thing when able but if you have crossed female shepherd or her allies or if you have bad intentions, she will not hesitate to end the person's or alien's life for the benefit of everything else uh makes the hard decisions sure. when you have to but if there's ever even a hope of doing the right thing then she will try to uh which has been working great in mass effect 2 there's been tons of situations where it's like it seems like there's only going to be one right way or wrong way but luckily i have enough paragon points to do the right thing um to put it in an easy sense i'm usually running at full paragon but i still have about 25 percent of renegade filled out sometimes you gotta put a fool down yeah you know yeah uh, during your service, this is Soul Survivor, during your service, a mission uh, you were on went horribly wrong. Uh, trapped in an extreme survival situation, you had to overcome physical torments and uh, psychological stresses that would have broken most people. You survived while all those around you fell, and now you alone are left to tell the tale. Hopefully you didn't eat them or something, but that gives you uh, five Paragon, five Renegade, and gives you some unique dialogue. War hero, early in your military career, you found yourself facing an overwhelming enemy force. You risked your own life to save your fellow so soldiers and defeat the enemy despite impossible odds. Your bravery and heroism have earned you medals in recognition of the Alliance feat. Uh, which is the Paragon uh, boost. Ruthless, throughout your military career, you have held fast to one basic rule. Get the job done. You've been called cold, calculating, and brutal. Your reputation for ruthless efficiency takes your fellow soldiers makes your fellow soldiers weary of you. Uh, but when failure is not an option, the military always goes to you first. And that gives you the Renegade. Then your military specialization. You have the choice between soldier, engineer, adept, infiltrator, sentinel, and vanguard. Um... So, so you've played through the beginning of Mass Effect 2, and, you know, they basically piece Shepard together yeah. uh, after that. So usually in my own headcanon, I play the first game as a soldier just because it, the shooting is as good as anything else in that game, uh, which is to say passable. And uh, usually just go with that. And then in the second game, I, I have a headcanon where, like, okay, now Shepard gets biotics. Like, they put Shepard back together and made him or her better. Uh, so they've they've implanted, and then I usually go Vanguard, and then maybe mix it up for the third game as well, which I believe they give you a uh, a prompt to change it once more. Uh, there's a new game plus option and all that kind of stuff, but that's basically how you build your Shepherd, and then immediately out of the gate, you're making uh, text choices and and decisions in the story. That again, you can go against any number of these things. It'll give you some unique. Uh, dialogue, uh, the other characters are saying to you, or you can say to characters, but beyond that, uh, you kind of forge your own way at that point. It's kind of your own RPG, 
uh, backstory of the character. And if, like you said, if you're role-playing like you are, uh, it, it helps to influence your decisions. A lot of people will get to decisions and they're like, morally, regardless of how I've built my character, I am having trouble with this decision. But if you lean on how you've played your character, it, there's never a question. You know immediately what Shepard will choose. And then it's up to the game to try to make those situations so complex. Uh, and, and the whole series is, is good at that as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, thereafter. So that's... Mass Effect. You build your character. You have the whole thing on uh, on the planet there at the beginning, where you touch the spire or whatever it is, and uh, Shepard gets a vision of the Reapers, and uh, we know Saren's up to no good, and uh, possibly being used as a pawn of these Reapers. And Shepard is basically given command of the Normandy uh, to run as he sees fit. Is get granted uh, Spectre status, a license to kill across the galaxy. Do what you must to defend. Uh, the, the peoples of the Citadel and, and the console races go. Uh, so, Reed, I'm going to hand it off to you to uh, to tell us where we go out the gate in Mass Effect. What comes first? I have an idea that you go to find um, Ma- Matriarch Benezia, right? Right. You have to do a few things here. Uh, you have to go to one... <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember, like, the, the finer... De- like, the overall plot of Mass Effect 1 is very basic, and that's just, like, recruit a few people, stop Benezia go to Novaria with Arachni and stuff like that. Um, you have to go to an asteroid just to uh, reclu- recruit... Um, uh, what's her name? Um, L- Look Laria. at storyline here. La- Liara. Yeah, yeah, Liara, sorry. You go, so you go to an asteroid field to recruit Laria. While you're there, you Liara. realize that, yeah. that she has been... Uh, <laughs> Liara, sorry. She has been captured by the Geth. The Geth are using a big fucking plant alien called a thorian the thorian possesses uh mind controlling abilities which he tries to use on uh liara essentially but you stop the thorian uh it's not thorian doesn't end up being like a really big deal for some reason at least that's what i remember in my playthrough um so you stop the thorian you basically it's basically just a big excuse to get to liara in your party because when you're on the citadel that's when you get rex and garrus and basically your entire party once you have recruited your entire party is when you have your your three big story missions after that. And that's the thing about Mass Effect 1 is that you only have, like, very few big story missions. So you have to go to Novaria to stop, like you said, Benezia, who's there, who's Liara's mother. Uh, she also has been controlled by Sovereign, who when you go there, you learn that Sovereign is has, like, some weird field on it that will bend the person's will to Saren's. But then mm-hmm. you learn eventually throughout the same planet that Saren might himself actually be in control by Sovereign. Because mm-hmm. once you reach a certain point in that planet, Sovereign is talking to you. And it's revealed that Sovereign like, is not just a ship, but a fucking Reaper. And is essentially a herald for their race. He divulges a lot of exposition about how the Citadel isn't actually built by the Protheans. It was built by the Reapers. It was purposely built so people would fucking... Uh, advanced Hang out there yeah they would advance to such a high level of their evolution and technology and then they would fuck up call the reapers back through the uh citadel because it's actually in itself a giant relay the reapers would come and then what they do exactly when they come hasn't been divulged as far as mass effect one is concerned and not yeah. fully yet in mass effect two either and that's essentially when you leave novaria and I'm glancing over the Rachni part, by the way, because I'm, I'm sure... I've got, I've got the plot in front of me now, yeah. so we can run it down in order. Yeah. Okay, yeah. and then after that you have um, Vermeer. I think there's a place you have to go to before Vermeer as well. That's just a big fucking make-up on it. But yeah, sorry, you go now. 
I, okay, sure. Uh, yeah, Novaria <laughs> is the uh, the whole thing with the uh, the, 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 the Rachni, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. This is, this is really detailed. This is maybe probably more than I, I needed right now. But, uh, yeah, when you're on the Citadel the first time, we already talked about the party members. Yeah. Uh, you get Garrus, Rex, Tally. Boo. Uh, sorry. I got the, soda, the spicy soda here, Reed. Uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, as the Chambers of Watch Music, Commander Shepard becomes the first human specter and is tasked with hunting Saren down. Captain Anderson steps down as the commander of the Normandy and hands the ship over to Shepard, along with some useful leads. There have been reports of Geth activity on the planets Novaria and Pharos. Also, Matriarch Benezia, Saren's ally, has a daughter named Dr. Liara Tassoni, a Prothean expert who may have useful information. Right, that's, Shepard's, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's when you go to recruiter on the asteroid. Yeah, uh, Shepard's alien uh, allies pledge their support to the commander's cause. Tally joins the crew, wanting to help the uh, fight the Geth and prove herself. If Shepard didn't work with Garrus or Rex during uh, the case to expose Saren, one of them will be waiting by the elevator uh, to the Normandy's docking bay, requesting to be taken along for the ride for their own reasons. And Shepard may either welcome them uh, to the team or refuse them. After giving the crew a speech aboard the ship, Shepard is now in command of the Normandy. So there's the Liara part, as you mentioned. Uh, you learn that the Geth uh, are working with Saren. Uh, for for one reason or another, in Mass Effect One, does it kind of reveal what's going on there? Yeah, that the absolutely. Geth are kinda... So the Geth, yeah. since the Geth are an AI based system, they are yes. they have sentience. Um, they believe that the Reapers, even though they have not met them in any capacity, are like uh, such a higher evolution of their own being that they are essentially gods. So they have formed yes. like a weird quasi religion about bringing them back because that's just what they. Like that's they 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 have no higher purpose, so they have created a higher purpose for themselves. Right. So now, right now, based on where you are in the story of Mass Effect, you're speaking of the Geth as like a hive mind. Yes. Uh, and and that is kind of elaborated on later that you learn that just because these Geth think that and do it, uh, there might be more to it than that. Uh, which is which is really cool. Uh, like the Geth to me are the are the coolest race. Let's call them. Uh, in Mass Effect, just because of their arc over the over the course of the games and how they're fucking used and abused by everybody, and you're basically just told like, yeah, they're bad machines. They got sentience and thought they knew better, and fuck them, uh, kill them with with without mercy. Yeah. Uh, Shepard arrives at Novaria and discovers that Matriarch Benezia recently arrived. She and Saren are. Uh, in investors in Binary Helix, which is a lab on Peak 15. Benezia has gone there on business. However, the lab has since issued a code Omega signal, meaning there are critical problems and a blizzard has cut off shuttle access. After wrapping uh, with Administer Anolis, <laughs> Shepard manages <laughs> to get a garage pass and drives up to Peak 15. The facility is deserted, save for Geth and bizarre creatures revealed to be the supposedly extinct Rachni, who are like bug guys. Yeah. Uh, Starship which have troopers. escaped from the, yeah, uh, which have escaped from the lab. Shepard uh, reactivates the station's uh, VI Mira, uh, who goes to the Rift Station uh, looking for Benezia. Rift Station is full of science uh, staff sheltered from the Rachni attack. Shepard can help them out, but gets attacked by those loyal to Benezia. Uh, the squad finds out that Binary Helix discovered a Rachni egg that turned out to be a queen, and were trying to breed an army of from her brood until the Rachni turned on them. And again. The, the the way the story is told to you is always, there's always subtext. There's always something between the lines. So you're being told, hey, we tried to breed these Rachni and they fucking turned on us. Well, they didn't turn on you. They're the last of their race and you're imprisoning them. Yeah. Uh, down in the labs through the maintenance area, Shepard finds Benezia with a Rachni uh, queen. The matriarch attacks the squad. But after a fierce battle, Benezia manages to overcome the indoctrination, 
which is uh, what you were referring to earlier, that Saren has used to control her. So you're trying to say that the indoctrination that Saren has the power to use over people might be being used on Saren himself. No, by it is actually it yeah. is confirmed being used on Saren yes. himself. You yeah. find out later. And actually, yes. if we can go quickly back to the rat, well, I guess we're not going back. We're at, yeah, we're, we're getting there. We're at the uh, rat yeah. <laughs> part. But what I love about Mass Effect and what they've done with this is that everything is like very easily related to one another, even if uh, you're not picking up at first. So you realize uh, through earlier parts throughout the laboratory that the Rachni went extinct because they had a war with the with the Krogan. Krogan? Because, yeah, the, yeah. because the, the Rachni were running rampant. So and then you realize that the Krogan uh, went to war with them because they were uh, they were breeding incredibly fast. And then you realize right. that after they killed the Rachni, they had too many Krogans. So the Solarians had to create the Genophage to limit their reproduction. Otherwise, it's the like poetry, it rhymes. Yeah. Otherwise, <laughs> the Krogans would have fucking killed everybody. It's it's really fucking cool. It gives you reason to bring a, bring along a character like Rex because on the hope that they might be some unique dialogue or something yeah. like that. It's really fucking cool. Saren wants the location of the lost Mu relay and sent her to retrieve it from the Queen's genetic memory, which is some, like, Assassin's Creed shit. <laughs> uh, Benezius doesn't... Benezia doesn't know what else he is planning. She heads to the coordinates over to Shepard, uh, but becomes lost uh, to the indoctrination again, and the commander has to kill her. Uh, after deciding what to do with the Rachni Queen, Shepard leaves Novaria and Benezia's date, uh, data and a piece of the puzzle. So, uh, the Rachni Queen... This is an extinct thing. We know they're bad, quote-unquote. We know what we've been told about the Rachni. Reed, did you spare the Rachni Queen? I did because she she explained that her people have been tainted by a bad song, essentially. Like, the, her people yeah. like communicate through music or some shit. Um, and she said that her people were tainted by bad song or were implied to have been mind-controlled by somebody. Right. So, the song... Okay, I don't want to fucking spoil anything. Right, no, the, I think they imply yeah. in Mass Effect 1 that they, their song was being controlled or influenced by the Reapers? Yes. Yes. Um, so so that's why they were big assholes, but she, <laughs> yeah. But then the Queen elaborated that they're not tainted currently, and they will not be bad, and they'll leave everybody alone, and they'll be good people. Uh, so, right. so, and I believed her at face value, because my shepherd would not kill unnecessarily in this case. Like, right. although she's ruthless, she has not been given reason to believe that this race is actually hostile because she's been given enough evidence or believes them enough anyway. And you have context. You have you have literally a, a matriarch or whatever, the Benezia, uh, who is very strong-willed, very strong of mind, uh, who, who is basically yeah. indoctrinated beyond saving to the point where you have to kill her. Yeah. It's not hard to believe that the Rachni that their song was perverted uh, by, say, and messages from deep space by the fucking Reapers into trying to fight, yeah, right? the so. biggest roleplay reason, however, I gave for myself was if the Reapers are coming back, the Rachni might be useful allies as such right. the Krogan. So in Mass Effect 2, there's lots of talk about curing the Genophage. So that's yes. my same thought process is I need to get the Rachni and the Krogan back to fight this shit. That's right. I also saved the Rachni Queen, and uh, your your uh, the fallout of that will be felt later in the series. Uh, Pharos, drawn to Pharos by rogue Geth activity, Shepard and the squad arrive at Zoo's Hope Colony, owned by Zeogeny Corporation. Uh, the colony has been suffering repeated Geth attacks, and the settlers there are acting strangely. Shepard clears the Geth for the colonists and uh, takes the Mako along the uh, Prothean Skyway to the main Geth base. 
the squad finds a small group of colonists who have become separated from the others, led by Julian Bainham uh, and a nervous exogeny rep, Ethan Zhang. Uh, despite their situation, these survivors seem to be coping better than Zoob's hope. Uh, before they leave, Julian asks Shepard to look for her daughter, Lisbeth, uh, whom she believes to be still inside the Xenogeny headquarters. After making their way inside Xenogeny headquarters, Shepard's squad finds Lisbeth scared but alive from the company uh, VI. Shepard discovers that the corporation has been experimenting with the mind-controlling plant, the Thorian. Oh, okay. I was and, mixing uh, up where yeah. the Thorian was. My bad. Yeah, uh, and that Zoo's Hope is actually a testing ground for Zeogeny to study its abilities. Uh, Shepard disables the force fields and the Geth have that the Geth have set up by knocking the Geth dropship from the headquarters and uh, returns to the Skyway group. Zhang has received word that Zeogeny wants Zoo's Hope destroyed. Shepard deals with Zhang and heads back to deals with him and heads back to Zoo's Hope to find the Thorian. Uh, controlled by the Thorian, the colonists attack Shepard on site. Thorian creepers generated by the plant augment the mind-controlled colonists' forces. Uh, Shepard has can use the special gas grenades that instantly kill the creepers and harmlessly paralyze the colonists, then descends uh, beneath Zeus Hope to find the Thorian. It is an enormous creature that looks nothing like a plant. It creates a Asari clone uh, to speak for it, but only to tell Shepard that it's not interested in bargaining with meat. After battling waves of Thorian creepers and clones, Shepard manages to destroy the Thorian's neural nodes and kill it. The Anasari emerges from the Thurian pod and manages to explain what happened. Shepard learns that Saren sacrificed the Asari ally, Shiala, uh, to the Thorian Shala. to gain the Cypher. Uh, this is the cultural ancestral experience of the Protheans, which is necessary to understand the vision that the Eden Prime Beacon put into Shepard's mind. Freed from the Thorian, Shiala uh, transfers, the, <laughs> transfers the cipher to Shepard with it. Once Shepard has had time to adjust, the vision will be made more sense and hopefully lead them to the conduit before Saren. It's actually just people slipping Shepard some acid or some shit. He's like, whoa. Yeah, they use some peyote. They just put him in a tent <laughs> in the desert. The Reapers are coming like, back. <laughs> so tell us what you see. Uh, Vermeer. The console can't. Uh, so another thing we have to talk about throughout here is when you do these missions, you have an audience with the council, which is some of my favorite parts of Mass Effect One, where you could just be like a rude asshole. <laughs> yeah, to them. fuck you. <laughs> uh, but the best part is like you you try to play along, but as soon as they get snippy with you, like as soon as the the Turian or the uh, the Salarian like starts giving you some fucking lip, I just end the call. <laughs> so good. Yeah. This is what happened. Oh yeah, you couldn't have done it better. Bye. Click. Uh, <laughs> console context. Yeah, fuck Or Joker's uh, like, uh, hey, should I patch you through to the count uh, to the Citadel? And you're like, no. And that's it. Yeah, Shepard's just like, dead ass, no. <laughs> <laughs> fuck him. Uh, the console contacts Shepard with another possible lead uh, when two of the three initial leads are investigated and dealt with. A Salarian espionage team on Vermeer investigating reports of Saren's activity has uh, sent a mission-critical transmission that was lost in static. Shepard heads to Vermeer and uh, meets with the the leader of the Salarians, Captain Curry. This is basically Curry. the final mission, by the way. Yeah. Uh, they have found a breeding facility for Krogan uh, that Saren has been using to create an army. Curry, realizing he's not getting the reinforcements he needs, asks for Shepard's help destroying it, and they develop a plan. While the Salarians distract Saren's geth, Shepard will take a team around the back and plant a nuclear device uh, that will wipe out the facility. Curry asks Shepard for a squad member to help him coordinate the attack. Shepard can choose Ashley or Caden to help the Salarians. Reed, who did you choose? Uh, Caden? Oh, no! It doesn't, no, that, it doesn't matter because your choice of who lives and who dies comes after this, Lee. Okay, good. Yeah, so, it, uh, it, so you, as far as who you send to help who, it doesn't matter. It's purely for the purpose of separating those characters. 
if Rex was allowed to join the team, I assume you took Rex oh, with you. Oh, of course. Uh, the commander must also deal with him before proceeding to the greater mission. Rex is furious that Shepard is willing to destroy a cure for the genophage, a Salarian bioweapon which makes Krogan breeding next to impossible. Shepard either talks Rex into staying loyal, guns him down, or allows Ashley to gun him down. Uh, Ashley will will not hesitate to kill anyone who's not a human. <laughs> Ashley, in any of the dialogue you have with Ashley, comes off as extremely racist and bigoted uh, and very high on herself, considering humans are, like, the fucking yes. fuckboys of the Citadel. She's always, like, trying to speak for Shepard. It's very off-putting. Right, so fuck Ashley, yeah. right? Uh, leading the strike team... Also, Ashley Williams was the name of uh, the main character in Evil Dead. Oh. I thought it was just Ash Williams. Well, Ash is short for Ashley. Read, okay. please. It's a it's a unisexual name. Groovy. There are dudes named Ashley out there. Believe it or not. Uh, leading the strike team, Shepard reaches the facility, but discovers his main purpose is not to breed Krogan, but to study Sovereign's horrific indoctrination effect. In Saren's private lab, uh, the team finds another Prothean beacon and gives Shepard another vision, and they are controlled by a hologram of a... Well, they're, sorry, they are confronted by a hologram of Sovereign himself, uh, which is not a Reaper ship, but an actual Reaper. Sovereign reveals that the mass relays on the Citadel, blah, 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 as we talked about earlier, declare Shepard's attempting to stop the Reapers from returning to be futile before heading towards Shepard's position. Shepard manages to get the nuke set up uh, across the facility, only to get a call from that the Solarians are being attacked with heavy losses. The commander takes a group to help them, but as they leave, the Geths start attacking the nuke site, and Shepard has to choose both Caden and Ashley are in trouble, and there's no time to save both. Once the choice has been made, Shepard brings reinforcements in, only to be confronted by Saren. He tries to make the commander uh, join his cause, but Shepard refuses. Fighting Saren off, Saren gets away, and the team board the Normandy, escaping Vermeer as the nuke destroys the facility, killing either Caden or Ashley, depending on Shepard's decision. Who'd you send in, Reed? Uh, I fucking killed Caden. Um... Nice. So the cool thing about the cool thing about that, I will say, is that Caden will now be talked about as like a hero. <laughs> And if you let, like, if Ashley does that huge racist speech she does with uh, Rex there, and she's just like, let me kill him, he's not, he's, he's scum of the earth, uh, and then you send Ashley on the suicide mission, they talk about Ashley like she's a decorated war hero after this, <laughs> like, that bitch doesn't deserve that. No. Uh, anyways, so that's a, that's a major one. Obviously, Rex can die there, and he's just gone for the rest no, of the series I, if you let him luckily, die there. Luckily, I smoothed everything over with Rex, so I had no problems there, me and Rex are cool. And Rex are great. Uh, yeah, no problems killing Caden. He was a fucking nobody character. I didn't talk to him at, at any point. Like, <laughs> what, is, what is this guy going to have to say? Like, I grew up on Earth. Fucking boring. Uh, you got aliens right there, dude. Why am I not talking to the aliens? Yeah. I already know what your ass looks like. Yeah. <laughs> Commandeering the Normandy. Thanks to the undamaged beacon on Vermeer, Shepard's Prothean vision is now complete. During the debrief, Liara touches Shepard's mind oh, mm. to interpret it fully. Shepard, allow me to fully interpret your mind. Uh, the vision had, was a distress call intended to warn the Protheans about the Reapers. <coughs> Liara realizes that the landmarks in the vision are uh, on Ios, Ilos, Ilios, a planet she has studied. Uh, Ilios, uh, she has studied as part of her Prothean research. Ilios uh, has been impossible to reach because it is only accessible through the Mu Relay, which is why Saren needed the relay's location from Novaria. Uh, no Nova yeah, right. Uh, after the debrief. Uh, Joker has a message for Shepard from the Council. They're putting together a massive multi-species effort to face Saren. Oh, so guess... Yeah, look look who was right after all! <laughs> Fucking Council. Useless pieces of shit. <laughs> 
Thrilled the council are finally taking this seriously, Shepard returns to the Citadel, wanting to personally lead the assault, but once back at the station, Shepard discovers the council are only putting up a blockade around the mass relays to stop Saren reaching the Citadel. Neither they, nor Ambassador Udina, uh, believe Shepard's story about the Reapers, and that they refuse to send a fleet to Isla. Man, this, you know what this kind of reminds me of, and I don't know how, how uh, familiar you are with Harry Potter. Uh, but if we compare the threat of the Reapers to that of Voldemort, uh, in the very first Harry Potter book slash movie, it's very clear that that this dark wizard is back and making a uh, making a play for his White evil plan. Uh, sure, yes, exactly. No one's gonna believe that zombies exist. Blah blah blah. Why? Why? Like, you're living in a fantastical world in Mass Effect, in Harry Potter, in fucking Game of Thrones. Why are so... You're sitting at a fucking long table with aliens. <laughs> you live, you, and Shepard comes in and he's like, here is documented proof that there is an alien uh, race out there that is coming to fucking obliterate yeah, you, you all literally, life. You're looking at a blue fucking skinned alien race that lived for like thousands of years. Fuck. Yeah. And like, you're like, oh, a, a giant deep space race that's coming to wipe us out? No, don't no, believe it. I don't Impossible. believe it. Yeah, no one believes Voldemort is back this until like the fourth just book read where he's my standing fucking in front mind, of him. and I don't believe that Reapers are coming back. <laughs> uh, the move relay is in the Terminus system, uh, and a Citadel fleet there could start a war. Shepard knows the Normandy's uh, stealth systems can take them there discreetly, but the Council are getting tired of Shepard's insistence that the Reapers are a real threat. Udina, wanting to make nice with the Council, locks out the Normandy systems and grounds the ships. Thanks, Udina. Uh... Frustrated knowing that Saren is close to uh, finding the conduit and they're losing time, Shepard is grateful when one of the squad uh, offers support, but a real breakthrough comes when Captain Anderson gets in touch, asking Shepard for a discreet meeting at Flux so they can get fucked up, see some alien titties. Uh, Anderson believes the commander's story and knows the Normandy. Anderson's like the biggest bro uh, through the entire fucking series. Uh, believes the commander's story and knows the Normandy is the only ship that can get Shepard to Ilos. Uh, he is going to unlock the Normandy systems, allowing Shepard to steal the ship and take her to Ilos. Shepard is concerned that Anderson will be arrested and charged with treason or worse, but Anderson sees his future as a small price to pay for stopping genocide on a galactical uh, scale. Shepard goes to the Normandy and waits with Joker on the bridge with Anderson's help, and the Normandy systems are unlocked and they escape the Citadel heading to Ilos. Uh, so Anderson, just a huge bro here. Uh, overrides the system knowing it, it could mean his his life uh, or, or imprisonment forever. Uh, but he he trusts his own soldier that he is he is served with. He believes Shepard's story thoroughly and uh, believes in the threat. And uh, fucking a, fucking a Anderson. Let's just say that. Um, Shepard has the option of developing a romance with a crew member during the course of the uh, chasing after Saren, and the relationship comes to a head right after uh, right before the trip to Ilos. The crew member visits Shepard in the captain's quarters, and they may either spend the night together. Or keep the focus on the mission. And this is why this game got all the press it did. Because uh, there is a sex scene. Yep. There's a Xbox 360 ass <laughs> sex scene in this game. I, and uh, you did, did you look up any of them on YouTube no, or anything like that? No, I'm saving myself for Garrisley. Oh, wow. You're chased. Yeah. <laughs> the chased Commander Shepard. Uh, so in the first game, I, uh, I chose Liara as a romantic option. And the way it's presented in that game is less like, uh, uh, how do I put this? Less romantic and more like interesting. More like let's let's fuck the commander of the ship. Let's uh, it's part of it's you. You are a small part of Liara's full experience, 
let's say, and it comes off as Aragorn and and was Glad who's the who's mm. who's Liv Tyler playing fucking Lord oh of the Rings? Um, I was say Gladriel, but that's the witch in the no uh, fucking no just stop for a second. Read please. Just stop for a second. Elrond's just daughter. Stop for a second. <laughs> um, Arwen. Thank you. I knew you, you wouldn't be stuck too long. Uh, it kind of comes off more like that. Like, uh, at the time, she seems to really care for this man who will be dead in 30 years and she'll go on to live for thousands. So it seems to her more like a, a part of her, her story. And then in the subsequent games, uh, what's interesting is that if you decide to pivot away from Liara and, let's say, uh, pursue Tally or something like that, um, it, it becomes a thing. You get unique dialogue where Liara is actually kind of butthurt that you, <laughs> you move on. So uh, that's kind of interesting. Uh, but you you didn't you chose not to you, you, the chaste Commander Shepard no sex until the mission is done. Uh, that's that's no I that's just no I just wanted to, I just wanted Garrus and you can't romance Garrus in Mass Effect One. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I didn't want to romance Liara. Fuck, I don't like Liara. That's life, baby. Uh, later, Joker announces that they're about to pass through the mo- later. <laughs> Joker announces announces that they're about to pass through the move relay, and that soon they will arrive at Ilos. Uh, Shepard sees that Saren has already arrived with a fleet of Geth dropships. Uh, though the Normandy stealth systems are keeping them safe for now, Navigator Presley picks up some readings on the planet, confirming Saren's presence. However, uh, they cannot find a landing zone. Uh, Shepard suggests dropping the Mako, but they need about 100 meters of open terrain for a safe drop, and Presley can only find about 20. Joker insists that he can do it. The make this is Joker's like big heroic moment. Uh, the Mako is successfully dropped outside an ancient bunker, but Saren and his Geth have already made it inside, shutting a heavy security door behind them. An ancient ruins security door. Uh, Shepard looks for ways to get uh, to the other side of the bunker doors. After fighting through Geth left on guard, Shepard and the squad find a security station and reopen the bunker doors. While in the control room, Shepard discovers an ancient Prothean recording, which is heavily damaged. The cipher allows Shepard to make out some of the words. It's another warning uh, about the Reapers. <laughs> the cipher allows Shepard to make out with it. <laughs> yeah, the uh, se- secret romance option. You make out with the cipher <laughs> at the end of the game. Uh, it's another warning about the Reapers, but it's not. Uh, but it's just too broken up. It's just they, like they record another, all that shit it's on another like the reapers are real and Shepard's like fuck I know <laughs> listen I understand it's been like 50,000 years since these recordings were made but I've seen people like wander into abandoned shacks that are exposed to the elements and they find like VHS tapes and like old old audio recording tapes that still work like uh, like perfect and these guys have to have technology I mean they got huge security doors this shit should be more well preserved I guess is what I'm trying to say after driving past cryogenic stasis pods all apparently shut down, Shepard sees a mysterious energy barrier. As the Mako reaches the barrier, another barrier appears behind them, trapping the squad inside. The only way out is through a door at the side of the wall. After heading down an elevator, Shepard finds an ancient Prothean VI named Vir- uh, Vigil, who has information Shepard needs to stop the Reapers. Vigil unveils a startling revelation. The Citadel is actually a trap. A huge mass relay linking to dark space outside of the galaxy where the Reapers are waiting. The Keepers are presumed to be the one of the earliest races to be indoctrinated by the Reapers, who uh, set them the task of maintaining the Citadel and activating uh, the Citadel relay when Sovereign signals them. It is also revealed... Why at that point wouldn't you just kill all the Reapers, or the Keepers, rather, and and uh, hire some janitors, you know? Yeah. It uh, is also revealed that Sovereign is the vanguard of the Reapers. After every Reaper attack, they leave behind one... Uh, of their kind to act as a vanguard and to monitor the development of the galaxy's races. Once galaxy uh, races are sufficiently advanced, the vanguard will activate the Citadel Relay and usher in the next genocide. Yay! 
The reason the Reapers harvest the galaxy of all advanced organic life approximately every 50,000 years is currently unknown. According to Vigil, not even the Prothean scientists could comprehend why they did it. Uh, they may have driven by goals that organics find impossible to understand. Once the galaxy is harvested, the Reapers uh, return to dark space to hibernate and conserve energy. In this state, they are apparently vulnerable. So they always seal the Citadel Relay behind them. When the Reapers last attacked about 50,000 years ago, their genocide of the Protheans lasted for centuries. It took them centuries to hunt down and kill all the Protheans. Ilo's personal, uh, personnel hid in cryogenic stasis, watched over by Vigil. However, as his energy reserves ran low, he followed a contingency plan by shutting off pods of non-essential personnel to conserve energy. Hoping that when the time was right, he could safely open the pods. In the end, Vigil managed to save a dozen scientists. Uh, the few remaining Protheans on Ilos traveled to the Citadel through the Conduit, a small prototype mass relay built by the Protheans, uh, enabling a one-way link from Ilos to the relay monument in Citadel Presidium. The survivors altered the signal that the Keepers respond to and prevented them from activating the relay to dark space. So, let's unpack that. Uh, the last of the Protheans uh, came back to life. There was about a dozen scientists. They were able to fuck with the Keepers, which is now illegal in current times. Uh, and which is why I guess it's illegal is that we, we don't want to fuck with them because right now we are actually blocking the Reapers from, from showing up. Uh, Vigil also explains that if Sovereign assaults the Citadel alone, the combined power of the Citadel fleet would be enough to defeat the single Reaper. However, if Sovereign is able to direct an agent to go through the conduit as a backdoor and transfer control of the Citadel back to Sovereign, it will be able to manually activate the Citadel relay and bring in the rest of the Reapers. Sovereign made... Uh, had possibly planned this for centuries after discovering the Prothean sabotage plan. Vigil gives Shepard a data file uh, that will give the commander temporary control of the Citadel to stop Sovereign. After leaving Vigil, uh, Shepard heads through the archives down into the old aqueduct guarded by Geth and reaches the conduit Saren had already gone through, leaving Geth to stay guard. Meanwhile, the Sovereign uh, sorry, uh, begins its assault on the Citadel, escorted by a large Geth fleet, Matriarch Ladania. Uh, the commander of the Destiny Ascension attempts to close the Citadel's arms, but the station doesn't respond. The operators in Citadel control are all dead. The console are forced to evacuate aboard the Ascension. Saren has begun his attack from within. Back on Ilo, Shepard sees the conduit is closing fast. Rushing to the conduit, Shepard evades the Geth in process and drives the Mako through just before the relay closes. On the Presidium, now burning and heavily damaged, two Geth troopers notice a blue glow around the relay monument. When they go to take a look, the Mako suddenly bursts through and crushes them before rolling over and crashing against a wall. The race to stop Saren is on. Uh, so are you are you like you're all in when this is going down? Like the the you see the climax coming. You you understand what the threat is now. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> the Battle of the Citadel. Uh, what can be said here other than uh, Sa Sh Sovereign shows up, Saren's there. You gotta shoot Saren a bunch of times and kill him. Yeah, well, like everybody says, apparently that so you can, you have two fights with Saren essentially here. You have his first fight, then you have his like basically when you take him down, uh, he gets possessed by Sovereign and gets resurrected as like a weird robot thing, and then you have to take him down as the actual final boss fight. But the thing is about the first set where you're just fighting regular Saren is apparently if you choose a right enough dialogue options, I did not do this. Um, you can get Saren to shoot himself. Uh, Sick. Like, you basically break his indoctrination for a second, and Saren's like, ah, oh, fuck. Like, yeah, I've been compromised. I'm fucked up. And then he shoots himself, and then he gets taken over by Sovereign anyway. 
Um, so I like I like the character of, of Saren. They expand on him in in some novels. I don't know if you ever get so into Mass Effect that you want to read books, uh, but th- that moment uh, is really cool for the character. Like it feels like really earned that you get that quick glimpse of. Uh, it's like Phoenix at the end of uh, X-Men Last Stand. Where she's just like, kill my ass because I'm not in control. Uh, that Saren is actually like a faithful Spectre. And that this whole time he's been acting against his will. And once he's given the chance to, he tries to take himself out for you. Is uh, is a cool thing to do with a bad guy at the end of a yeah, game. Yeah, everybody at work said that I should have did that, but I didn't. So, uh, yeah. You you wanted to shoot him in the head. That's okay. <laughs> uh, Saren's got Krogan's too. In this uh, in this fight here, at the moment, Saren appears and throws a grenade. Shepard's team is blown against uh, side. Shepard's team is blown. Uh, while the commander takes clo- uh, cover close to Saren, he urges Shepard not to be a fool. Everything is lost if Shepard continues resisting Sovereign. Saren boasts uh, that his faith uh, fla- what faltered, but Sovereign uh, has implanted him, made him party uh, partly synthetic, perfect. Uh, this is the future of organic life. Shepard can't believe Saren allowed Sovereign to implant him. I want you to remember this for Mass Effect 3, because this is something that they don't... Basically, Saren has cut a deal with the Reapers here. They're like, we're going to make you perfect. We're going to put synthetics in you and make you better. Uh, you'll be like us. And the whole time, Saren thinks he's making his own choices to do this. That He's like, yes, please, implant me. Meanwhile, he's just being mind-controlled the whole fucking time. Um... Saren's story is a bit tragic in that in that regard. Uh, Shepard can attack uh, Saren right away, or by talking him down. The more Shepard talks, the more Saren is convinced. But his uh, Reaper implants cause the Turian intense pain when he begins to agree with Shepard. With enough convincing, Saren thanks the commander for freeing him before shooting himself in the head. Whether Shepard kills Saren or Saren kills himself, he then falls to the bottom of the chambers, falling through the glass floor and being impaled on a large shard. Uh, using the central console, blah, 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 we... Uh, so, here's your last kind of major decision of the game here. Uh, the Fifth Fleet, just waiting for the commander's word once the mass relays are unlocked, Shepard has to decide between sending the fleet to defend the Destiny Ascension to save the Council, or letting the Council die, uh, focusing on Sovereign. Once the orders are given, Joker brings the fleet through the nearby mass relay as Shepard opens the Citadel's wide arms. Reed, did you save the Citadel, or did you save the Council? I saved the Citadel. I, I focused all my efforts on the Sovereign, so I did not save the Council. Now, there is a distinction here, because there's three options here. You, yes. you either can say outright, fuck the Council, and that's your renegade option, because that's you not save. That's not you choosing to focus on the Sovereign. That's more you focusing on trying to kill the Council. Then there is the op- more- then there is the option of then there is the option is unfortunately I have to let the council die because we need sovereign to, to be destroyed here we can't we can't let this opportunity slip past us and then there is yeah. like the no we need to save the council option so I chose the middle ground which is like unfortunately the council needs to die because we need to stop sovereign which is perfect for my shepherd right. Uh, as the needs of the many versus the needs of the few. Yeah, it's like I can and also fuck the council. Three people die, or I can save the entire fucking galaxy, and that's what I'm going to do. Uh, as the fleet engages the ships outside, Geth drops six, uh, drop, drop ships and Sovereign itself. Shepard tells the squad to check on Saren to make sure he's dead. They drop down to the bottom of the chambers. One coldly shoots Saren in the head, while the other confirms uh, the kill to Shepard. Suddenly, Saren's body begins to twitch. As his implants fire up, burning his flesh away until he is a cybernetic construct like a husk, completely possessed by Sovereign. Uh, the shockwaves from his transformation cause the platform to collapse and Shepard falls into the bottom of the chambers. The squad fights back against the creature. 
uh, but it is fast and it is deadly. Like a turd in the wind. Uh, outside, the Normandy is leading the attack against Sovereign. The Reaper unleashes a terrible weapon that burns through several aligned ships, but the fleet is slowly getting the upper hand as the squad finally destroy the cybernetic creature and it burns away to ashes. Sovereign begins to weaken under the Alliance attack and releases its grip on the station. A blast from the Normandy is the Coupe de Grace as, uh, as the Reaper is destroyed in the chambers. Uh, Shepard looks up... Uh, to see a huge piece of debris from the Reaper falling straight through the tower. Uh, Commander yells, the squad take cover just as it hits. Much later, rescuers enter the tower looking for survivors under a pile of rubble. They discover Shepard's team, two of them badly wounded but alive. Leading the rescuers, Captain Anderson helps them out, assures uh, them it's alright, and asks where Commander Shepard is. One of the squad looks sadly across the chambers where the Reaper debris has crashed into the floor. It would uh, have crushed anyone standing under it. The rescue team helps the squad out of the chambers, reluctantly believing Shepard died in the crash. Uh, Anderson looks back to see someone moving. Commander Shepard with an injured arm manages to climb out from the debris, limps towards them, and smiles. So the epilogue here, as a, resort of, uh, as a result of Shepard's decisions, uh, there are four outcomes to the story. The Alliance fleet saves the Council. This is the Paragon ending. In gratitude for the sacrifices of the Alliance fleet and Shepard's help, they offer humanity a chance to become a Council race. Uh, the ending is almost the same as the Renegade one, but the Council meets Shepard in the Presidium. Again, Shepard can nominate either Udina or Anderson to be the human representative, and they decide to unite all of the Citadel races against the coming threat of the Reapers. Uh, should you uh, choose to save the Council... Uh, the Alliance saves the Council Renegade ending is also possible to have the Renegade version of the ending. The ending is pretty much the same, with the main difference being that the Council thanks Shepard within a dark room and the background ominous music is playing. The dialogue being somewhat different, whereas the Paragon ending has the Council praising Shepard's selflessness and heroism and stating that humanity is ready to join the Council. The Renegade ending has the Council impressed by Shepard's ruthlessness and determination to succeed, at first thinking uh, that such an in indomitable... Uh, what? Will? Yeah. Uh, Will made humanity stubborn and even dangerous, but now realizing that this is what makes them strong, thus making humanity a powerful ally, possible uh, by having the renegade shepherd save the council. Okay. Uh, the council is destroyed, Paragon ending. Uh, the Alliance forms a new council, and they also nominate a human chairman. Uh, if anyone, if you choose Odina, you're like a, the biggest idiot, yeah. right? That, that fucking asshole almost killed everybody. He locked down the Normandy. <laughs> Uh, then the other Renegade uh, ending where they are destroyed, basically same deal. Nope, uh, Paragon ending. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's gonna no, do there's, it. There's, that's... there's the Paragon ending where you kill the where the council's dead, where basically uh, Captain Anderson and Udina come up to you and they said that the council will be reformed with the same races and they're also going to hire on a human one to lead it, but not like so. How it goes into Mass Effect 2, Lee, is if you got the Renegade ending where the council is dead, um, yeah. the entire council next will all be humans. There won't be any uh, aliens on it. If you got hell yeah, brother. Yeah, if you got the <laughs> if you got the Paragon version of the council being dead, then the council will still be made up of aliens. It'll just be led by a human instead, aka Anderson. Right, uh, and and what a guy to lead it. So. Everybody believes the Reapers because one showed up and tried to fucking shoot lasers into your ass. Uh, so going forward, what happens next? Well, we'll probably save that for the next episode. Reed, what are your impressions of Mass Effect 2 so far in terms of story? And uh, you you were really high on Mass Effect coming off of Mass Effect 1. You were intrigued by the story. Does Has Mass Effect 2 let you down? Is it interesting in other Mass ways? Mass Effect 2 has far too much recruit this person mission and do this person's loyalty mission. Um, as far as actual plot goes, there's not a lot going on. It's just, uh, 
Collectors are working for the Reapers. Collectors are also used to be Protheans, which doesn't really matter when you think about it. And it's just more of the same. It's just Reapers are coming. Uh, I like the mystery, the intrigue of Mass Effect 1. So in that regard, I think that Mass Effect 2 is a downgrade as far as story goes. Um, yeah. I do like the characters more. I think the characters are a lot better in Mass Effect 2. I think the gameplay game plays obviously a lot better. Um, I wish it was a bit more RPG. Like, I wish there was more skill trees I could go into. I wish there was a bit more things I could equip on the fly. Um, yeah. Overall, I think it's a very different experience from Mass Effect 1, so it's hard to compare them in a lot of ways, but I, I'm enjoying it. It's weird that they... Because in Mass Effect 1, they set up this galaxy-spanning genocide event, and then you think, okay, well, now immediately we have to go find those other Reapers and destroy them in deep space or whatever. Uh, but, uh, like, the Normandy gets blowed up. You learn about Cerberus and what they're planning. You learn about the Collectors. And suddenly there's this this other threat to deal with. Right. But the game, yeah, the game itself focuses on what was one of the major strengths of the first game, which is characterization and personalities. Right. And, and building relationships. Yeah, what's yeah. very strange about the story, too, is that the ending I got, which was the Council is dead... It's still made up of aliens, but is now led by Captain Anderson, a.k.a. my buddy. Yeah, Everybody should buddy be aware Anderson. that the Reapers are a thing. We were literally fucking attacked by one. We have evidence of it. Um, but the whole purpose of Mass Effect 2 is that Cerberus says no one else gives a shit about the Reapers except for them. When, logically, I should just be able to ring up Anderson and be like, Yo, dude, Reapers are coming, right? And he'd be like, Yeah, fam, I got you. And then, like, that should be that, right? Um, it's it's yeah like the the threat has been suspended like we took out the harbinger we we made it so that they can't come through this mass relay everything's good everything's copacetic we don't have to worry about this genocidal threat right. only what should like they're gonna find a way yeah, what should right? have happened at the end of mass effect one is anderson saying like nobody still believes the reapers are here they all think that was an isolated incident but i'll try to convince them in the meantime yeah. thanks shepherd everyone's going on holidays yeah we're <laughs> uh yeah, it, I, I like the dynamic. I like, you know, you have to consider these games as they came out. Uh, so the Reaper threat, while it was a major part of the first game and the main plot of the first game, essentially, uh, it sets up a sequel where, yeah, we can we can take a break. But then in somewhere in that, they decided, no, this will be a trilogy. And then the, the third game kind of reach like really rushes into that Reaper threat. Uh, you'll, you'll, I mean, you'll see. Um, that's not to say that Mass Effect 2 isn't a, a fantastic game. And again, if you like the characters and you like the way the game plays, it's it's the best one. Uh, but in terms of the intrigue of the Reapers and the actual plot of the trilogy, it's the lightest on it, which is kind of interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. Uh, when, do, when do you think you'll... You're probably getting near the end of Mass 2 I at this point. I still have some loyalty missions to do, but yeah. Yeah. Probe those planets. Uh, <laughs> have, a, have a relaxing time. I think that's going to do it for this week, right? Yep. Hour and a fucking half. Uh, we, we've gone into... into It's quickly becoming 30 plus degrees outside, and I have some yard work to do. So we're going to call it a day there. Thank you for joining me on this special Saturday edition. Uh, it was nice to get through Mass Effect 1 in one chunk like that. Uh, if you have any questions, topics for the podcast, please submit them through at Iceberg Podcast on Twitter. Lee at TitsTheIceberg.com is our email address. Uh, we're going to get back on schedule this next week with a new Tits the Iceberg episode talking about a number of movies I've watched over the last little bit. And then back to Mass Effect and whatever we've been playing with video games next Thursday or Friday. Whatever ends up making more sense for us. We, uh, we don't like sticking to a schedule, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, doing what, what comes naturally. So, everybody have a great fucking weekend. Uh, thanks for signing up. That's going to be the show for myself, Lee and Reed. Talk to you next time.